Well, hey, hey, lovelies. It is episode two of the Tata Cancer podcast. And today we're going to be talking about 10 healthy ways that you can support your body through stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. <laughs> A breast cancer diagnosis is super stressful. Uh, even after you've gone through all your active treatment, um, going through your periodic scans or mammograms and stuff that brings up a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And, you know, just in general, life can be pretty overwhelming sometimes. It's, uh, if you're listening to this on the release date, it's we're right about to hit Christmas, which can be really triggering for a lot of people. So hopefully this episode can apply to just about anybody. Um, but we'll talk about things that we can do that are going to nourish your body and actually help you find equilibrium as opposed to drinking a bottle of wine and eating an entire uh, batch of cookies in one sitting, which, you know, is maybe I may have done that several, several times. <laughs> okay, let's get into the episode. I'm excited. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Happy, happy holidays. I hope everybody's doing well. It's been raining in Los Angeles, which has been pretty awesome, but it's also feeling freezing because it drops below 70 and, and we don't know how to handle it. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been a good holiday season so far. It's uh, pretty quiet for me personally. I'm going to go see my nieces. Hopefully my brother and sister-in-law will still talk to me after I um, give them my gifts. I'm giving one of my nieces, well, don't tell her because it's not Christmas yet, but I'm giving one of my nieces this um, talking hamster that I have given to other children. The kids love it. The parents hate it, um, but I just feel like it's so good, and um, I hope that they're not mad at me <laughs> two months from now when this thing is driving them nuts. But, okay, so stress, anxiety, overwhelm, oh my. What is happening in your body physiologically when you are experiencing stress? So first things first, I, I think it's really interesting to acknowledge that you know, a lot of the emotional experiences that we have are heavily tied to our hormones and vice versa. So emotions and experiences that we go through can stimulate hormonal responses. And then hormonal imbalances can actually stimulate emotional responses. So things like irritability, anxiety, depression, those can all be strongly affected by an imbalance. But at the end of the day, an important thing to remember is that, you know, hormones and your body in general 
is always trying to find equilibrium. It's that term homeostasis that you may remember from physiology class in high school or whatever. Our bodies want us to be well, but they do get out of balance. They do sometimes overcompensate and we can bring balance back by doing some of the things I'm going to highlight today. Um, but this is something that affects hormonally driven cancers. This is something that affects just our chronically stressed lives as Americans or I guess any human really in this world. And uh, it also certainly affects women going through perimenopause and, and menopause, which are times of super intensive hormonal fluctuations. So this is kind of a very simple explanation of the stress response and the hormones involved in that. But the two main hormones involved in a stress response are adrenaline and cortisol. So adrenaline is a neurotransmitter. It is the thing that's behind that fight or flight response. So, you know, your body does not know the difference between you being chased by a bear or you being told by your doctor that you've been diagnosed with cancer. And what happens is this is secreted by the adrenal glands. It increases our blood circulation. It increases our breathing. It affects our carbohydrate metabolism, i.e. it's basically accessing these fast sugars that would allow you to literally fight or fly, like run away as fast as you possibly can. Now, this is not a bad thing. If you're actually getting chased by a bear or, you know, having to physically fight for your life in some kind of very immediate attack. But the problem we run into, because this is appropriate in short bursts, but if we have these prolonged adrenaline responses, that's when we kind of get into trouble. So the other stress hormone, or you may argue the main stress hormone is cortisol. Now cortisol is a corticosteroid hormone. This also affects sugar in the body. It affects how you metabolize carbohydrates, uh, proteins, and fats. So you know it increases sugar in the bloodstream, which is why in times of stress, if you're like me, you immediately want cookies. You you want sugar. You maybe want coffee. You want to self-soothe with these things because your blood sugar kind of goes out all out of whack. It also enhances your, bla- your brain's use of glucose. So it can periodically or maybe, I guess, for momentarily, it can increase your mental clarity. Because if you are trying to run away from this bear... You need to be thinking clearly. You need to have, you know, physical abilities. It's, you need to have mental abilities. And it also increases the availability of substances that repair tissues. So steroids really are actually an anti-inflammatory type of a function. Um, but again, if we don't have a removal of the initial stressor that allows these levels of adrenaline and cortisol to normalize, we run into problems. We run into problems like high blood pressure, inflammation, 
metabolic issues, you know, blood sugar dysregulation, which can lead to elevated insulin, which can lead to obesity, diabetes, and this overall systemic stress most definitely contributes to disease. Um, the stress-disease relationship is is very well documented. I think anybody who's been diagnosed with cancer knows that stress is a is a can be a big factor in this. So the hard thing is you get this diagnosis or you get this overwhelming thing and you're creating even more stress in your life. So now that we know a little bit around the science and the hormones behind it, we can talk about ways that we can soothe the symptoms, regulate these levels, and allow our bodies to achieve more closeness to this homeostasis. You know, we cannot always eliminate the stresses in our lives. And I think that's a common misconception for people when, you know, maybe if, if something like mindfulness is suggested or being told by your doctor just in general, hey, you got to lower your stress levels. And people think, well, I can't. I have children. I have a job. I am dealing with this diagnosis. You think I can't eliminate the stress. So, so what am I going to do? We can't always eliminate the stress. What we can control is the way we react to it and the way that we counterbalance it. Now, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I do love me a, a good top 10 list. So that's what we did. These are my top 10 tips for helping your body naturally counterbalance anxiety, stress, and overwhelm. So being a nutritional therapy practitioner, you will probably not be surprised when the number one thing on my list is eating a balanced diet. Keeping your blood sugar regulated is going to be one of the best tools that you can have in your toolbox. Now, it's it's very easy, as we've discussed many times, and I feel like this is um, <laughs> going to be an ongoing theme. It's very easy to want to self-soothe through food. It's very easy to, you know, overdo it with certain foods. And, you know, carbohydrates are a really great example of this because what ends up happening is you eat a bunch of sugary foods. It, it provides sort of this dopamine hit initially, but then your blood sugar rises too fast. Then your body secretes insulin to bring down that blood sugar. And what happens is it overshoots. So then your blood sugar comes down too low. And that's when you get hangry. That's when, you know, your anxiety goes to even higher levels, or maybe you get this energy dip. Like that's with this three o'clock slump where you need like a frappuccino or whatever comes in. And that's what you do is you end up having that cookie, that cappuccino with tons of sugar or whatever, and you spike that blood sugar back up again and you're just, you're off on the roller coaster. So ideally, eating a balanced, nutrient-dense diet is going to give you a baby roller coaster so that you're not just fluctuating all over the place. And you will be amazed what that does for your energy levels, what that does for your mental clarity, what it does for your mood, your sleep. The benefits are so far reaching. So keep it simple. I mean, the last thing that you really need to do when you're super stressed out and overwhelmed is trying to implement something that's super far away from what you normally do. But 
a piece of fish, a piece of meat, um, a complex carbohydrate like pumpkin, sweet potato, quinoa, and some healthy fat like avocado, olive oil, nuts, seeds, um, ghee is great, grass-fed ghee, all these kinds of things, some vegetables, get some fiber in there. That really helps to sort of speed that slow down, not speed, (laughs) slow down that blood sugar response as well. I like to explain this to clients as, you know, if sugar were a balloon, fiber, fat, and protein are going to be like putting a weight on that balloon. So it doesn't just fly up into the sky and create this roller coaster effect. So yeah, but keep it simple. You know, if you just really don't have the time to plan or you don't even know where to start. One of my favorite services, if you can afford it, are meal kits. I love Sun Basket because it's organic. They have um, some really tasty recipes. You can go into the website and you choose what you want so you can see what looks good. Um, There are other, that's all all organic, so it is a little bit more expensive, but there are other meal kit services that are less expensive. You might sacrifice organic, which, you know, hey, at the end of the day, if you are eating as close to whole foods as possible, you're doing great. You're doing great. And if you have friends that, you know, they want to know how they can help, let them know having a healthy meal prepared or something like that, that'll really, if that'll really help you, that is a fantastic way to enlist your friends for support during these times. So think about those kinds of things. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of ketogenic protocols for hormone regulation, um, improved treatment outcomes with certain types of cancer. But unless it's something that's super important to you to transition into or um, you're in kind of an extreme situation, I don't really recommend making drastic dietary changes in times of super high stress because there is an element of stress in any dietary transition. And when you go from standard American diet to an extremely low carb diet, it can be very beneficial to you, but it can be very hard to adhere to the protocol. It can be hard to be learning so much new stuff and, uh, you know, finding the recipes that you like. If it sounds good, hey, great. But don't, I would say, don't stress about that. Just try to keep it nutrient dense, try to keep it close to whole foods and try to keep it balanced. So second on my list here, supplementation. So stress depletes the body, most specifically of B vitamins, magnesium, and zinc. You may want to consider supplementing your diet with these specific things. Uh, They may help fill in some gaps, but just remember with supplementation, um, I love supplements. I use them. I think they're great. But some people think that supplements can sort of work in lieu of a good diet. If you have to choose between the two, by all means, go with the quality of your food and the balance of your macronutrients. Because ultimately, if you are eating a wide variety of fruits, vegetables, 
healthy, clean proteins, good fats and stuff like that. You know, you're already ahead of the game, but if you're eating a terrible diet and you're just throwing supplements at it, just know that's probably going to be a waste of your money. It's not going to provide some kind of miracle for you. So again, if money is an issue and your diet's not super great right now, focus on the diet. Don't necessarily focus on the, um, on supplementation. It's not necessarily going to be of super amounts of benefit, but if you do decide to supplement, always check the quality of the supplements and be sure to check for any drug interactions. That's super important. Um, there are some great free resources online, drugs.com, that'll allow you to type in whatever medication you might be taking. And you can see if there is any kind of interaction between the supplement that you are taking and the um, medication that you're on. Herbs, a lot of people love adaptogens. So we're looking at ashwagandha, uh, rhodiola, stuff like that. Some people swear by it for stress support and an adaptogen will kind of help just balance things out for you. I personally don't notice a difference when I take adaptogens, but I know people that say that it's really helped them. So that's another thing to look into. Again, herbs, just like supplements, you got to check for drug interactions. Number three on my list, probably no big surprise, but exercise. So exercise is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think we can all agree on that. Some people really get a lot of relief from anxiety through intensive exercise. And when you do really work things up, it it will release your feel-good endorphins. Just my recommendation in times of extreme stress is monitor yourself. There's an importance in finding a balance. So more is not always better. And if you are having this really hard workout and you feel great for a second, and then a couple hours later, you feel like you've been hit by a truck, your body's just not recovering after a few days, that means you need to tone it down. So just be conscious of that. Um, Walking is probably the best form of exercise for almost anything. If you're walking in nature, i.e. hiking, that is almost the best thing ever. I feel like you're getting such a wonderful bonus there by being out in nature that can be very grounding and calming. Walking, unlike a super intensive exercise, is not necessarily going to spike your blood sugar because you are able to do that. It's more of a fat burning exercise. It's an endurance exercise. It's not a exercise that requires a lot of like sugar release glycogen from the muscles like running or a spin class or something like that. So that allows you to keep your blood sugar pretty stable too. It's not going to spike your blood sugar. Yoga. I love yoga. Um, Restorative yoga, yin yoga. Those are such wonderful ways to counteract stress. And then even a more strenuous class like a vinyasa or a shtanga or something like that. If you are a super athletic person, but you're finding that a run or um, like a hit session is just a little bit too much for you or is ramping up your anxiety, 
go for one of these power yoga classes. That that can be nice. But with that too, you know, just always be monitoring yourself. Your body will tell you what you need and chase what feels good, what's going to provide that calm, grounding energy for you. For me personally, I also just like incorporating what I call joyful movement into my world. So I love to roller skate. I am not very good at it, (laughs) but it's super fun for me. And, um, I haven't broken anything yet. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm intact. <laughs> but what I do is I'll put in on an album that I like. For some reason, Dua Lipa is like my go-to for roller skating. She really helps me just feel positive and excited. And I just find a safe area that doesn't have rocks and is kind of a smooth surface. And I just kind of get lost in it. That's been such a wonderful stress sort of balancer, counterbalancer for me. And it's just, I like to change things up. So, um, that is number three. So number four on my list and, uh, my friend Christine, who is a clinical sexologist and will be on the podcast soon. She, uh, will be very happy to hear that I put this on here, but number four on the list, Ooh, baby, it is sex yeah sex (laughs) sex and you know doesn't have to be sex with another person can be self-pleasuring sex in the form of masturbation sex is great for flushing cortisol out of your body it's great for just releasing if you are sharing sex with a partner you're creating connection connection can be very healing and grounding Um, it can be a form of exercise, uh, and just having that release can be super beneficial for you. So think about it and, um, get it on with your honey bunny or yourself, you know, because yourself can be your honey bunny too. Um, number five, number five, one of my faves, mindfulness. And we'll be talking a lot more about mindfulness on the podcast. So mindfulness, I mean, this is something that they have done a lot of scientific research into. It's been around for a long time. There's a reason for that. But mindfulness is such a fantastic way to get mental space into your brain, allows you to disconnect from your thoughts. So when we're in a place of anxiety, stress, or overwhelm, more often than not, there is a voice that is saying, well, what if, well, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? And then, oh my God, what if that happens? You know, there is that terribly panicked voice that ultimately is trying to protect you. You know, remember you're, everything about you is trying to look out for you. Sometimes, and that ego voice especially goes a little bit off the deep end and we do have to spend a lot of energy counteracting the messages that that gives us. But what mindfulness does, not only does it allow us to be a witness to this voice, so you're kind of able to 
look at it from a new perspective, but it also gives you license to not attach to these thoughts, to these feelings. And mindfulness does not have to mean that you go on a seven-day silent retreat in Tibet. Mindfulness can be literally spending 30 seconds to feel the soles of your feet on the ground. Um, It can be taking your shoes off in the grass or the sand and feeling the points of contact. It can be stopping during your workday at your desk and literally taking five deep breaths. So one great thing about breath work, to ground, you want to have the exhale be longer than the inhale. So to increase energy, you want the inhale longer than the exhale, but to ground and combat anxiety, make sure that that exhale is longer. I will link in the show notes to the breast cancer grounding kit that has a long form meditation, um, any any other resources, because I'm working on a a shorter anti-anxiety and overwhelm meditation that will be free and available. Um, These breathing techniques can be so powerful. They are free. They don't take a lot of time. And you feel an immediate benefit. So keep that in mind. Um, Incorporating a meditation practice into your life during really stressful times is a total game changer. I, again, we've talked so much about my cookie thing. (laughs) And what I've done in the last several years, you know, instead of going for those cookies, I stop I take a moment and I say, what's happening? Okay, I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. Is a cookie really going to help me? Sometimes the answer is yes. And if it is, then I will have that cookie. But I have become very conscious of when I'm trying to self-soothe. And I recognize that self-soothing through eating a lot of sugar does not help me in the long run. Um, it's mindfulness does. It grounds me. It provides a much more powerful sense of relief. It's not that quick dopamine hit that goes away and then turns into regret, shame, and you know, usually me falling asleep pretty quickly afterwards because my blood sugar just plummets. But the mindfulness it, it feeds me into a stable place where I am better equipped to deal with whatever is in front of me and I'm able to progress and I'm able to do it in a grounded way. So mindfulness, love it, love it, love it. Next on the list, numero seis, sleep. Now I know sleep can be tough. I know that when you are anxious and all you want to do is sleep and you can't sleep, that's one of the most frustrating things. I know that maybe you have so much going on that you just don't feel like you have the time to sleep. We can try to increase the 
the quality of our sleep. If, if you don't have the time or the ability to increase the amount of sleep that you get, because if you do, please increase the amount because that's going to allow your body to process. It's going to allow your body to repair and it's going to create more stability for you the next day, a uh, sense of groundedness. Some good sleep hygiene tips, which I'm sure we'll do a whole episode on this, but just the basics, sleep in a dark room, maybe get blackout curtains, maybe use a sleep mask, um, turn off devices, turn off the TV, don't fall asleep in front of the TV, minimize blue light a few hours before you go to bed. So don't be scrolling through Instagram. I know that's so easy to do, uh, but it does stimulate your brain and makes it harder for you to wind down. Watching super stressful TV programs. Um, I am a former Dateline addict and I would watch like three episodes before I'd go to bed and then I'd be all worked up and, you know, just thinking about murder. <laughs> I, I do still love the show, but I only watch it on occasion and I notice that I'm a lot less stressed out about it, about life in general, just by cutting back on my Dateline consumption. But um, yeah, so cutting out that blue light, I love to read a book and I feel best if I read a book that's fiction, um, not necessarily, you know, science or health stuff, which is something I, I do a lot of reading. Um, but if I'm reading a, a wonderful work of fiction that really pulls me in and not something suspenseful, something, I don't know, a great story or something light that really helps me wind down for the night. I love doing sleep meditations. Um, that does obviously add a little bit of blue light, but I just turn my phone settings onto a, the warmest setting possible. I close my screensaver and I listen to a relaxing meditation, a sleep-inducing meditation, something like that. That really helps me as well. What else? Keeping the room somewhat cold. Apparently the ideal temperature for sleep is 65 degrees. To me, that's really, really cold. I tend to need it to be a little bit warmer, but that's that's the science. It says 65 degrees is ideal and it'll help you reach deeper phases of sleep. I also recommend cutting your liquids down a few hours before you go to sleep. I am always drinking something for some reason. And uh, if I don't stop, I'm getting up multiple times in the middle of the night because I have to go to the bathroom. So cutting off the liquids a couple hours before bed, that can be helpful. And also finishing dinner a couple hours before bed. So you may want to just know that when you've, you're done with dinner, just close up the kitchen and try and stop consuming things. That allows your digestive system to kind of get a lot of that work out of the way so you're not dealing with that. Uh, number seven, therapy. Therapy is a great resource for a lot of people talk therapy. There are some great resources out there today. I know through my cancer support center up in the Bay Area, they offered, I don't know if it was free or low income or low um, 
they charge very, very reasonable rates for therapy. This is a time that you need to express, right? And in a therapy situation, you can say things that you may not say to a support group. You may not feel comfortable saying to your partner or even your friend because you can barely admit it to yourself. A therapist is the type of person that comes to you from a place of non-judgment and can really give you some great insight or ask you the questions that will allow you to find the insight that you need to feel more peaceful around it. So I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a great platform for therapy uh, where you pay a membership fee and you can write to your counselor, you can video call with your counselor. You can just have a phone conversation with them. And, um, it's, it's quite affordable, much more affordable than like a standard therapy, but some people want to go in person, you know, that's, it's to each his own, but it is a great, great thing. And there's no shame in having therapy. It does not mean you're crazy. It, It can be such a wonderful addition to your stress relief plan which also leads me to number eight which is community so support groups there are so many support groups out there and especially for breast cancer patients and survivors there are groups that are specifically for the newly diagnosed there are groups for people that have been out of treatment for a long time there are groups for metastatic breast cancer patients, for young breast cancer patients, all those wonderful little nuances, having a group of people that you can cry with, that you can laugh with, that you can share with who know what you're going through is invaluable. And there are a lot of places out there you just have to get online if possible and find them. You may also be able to get a referral to a support group through your medical provider. They often have a lot of wonderful information. So don't be afraid to ask that. Uh, I had a nurse navigator who, you know, could set me up with a social worker, set me up with the cancer support community that I belong to up in the East Bay when I was going through my experience. And they were wonderful, like absolutely wonderful. Number nine. Now this one is probably going to be the most unpopular, but it's not all about popularity, dear listener. I'm going to have to bring you some hard truth sometimes. This is a hard truth that is very powerful. So in times of stress, one of the things or there are two things that are great to cut back on alcohol and caffeine so alcohol can actually increase a stress response you know there is there's some momentary satisfaction in alcohol some people feel it is an easy way that people feel like they can numb out from very uncomfortable feelings. But at the end of the day, you're, you are really stressing your liver. You're adding a toxin and you are probably going to be less equipped 
later to deal with whatever it is that you're going through. If you're hungover, (laughs) if your blood sugar is low because you had too many margaritas, and unfortunately for breast cancer patients, alcohol is, is a tricky one. This is something that can be difficult. It's unfortunately... Alcohol can increase estrogen levels. So if you have a hormonally driven cancer, cutting back or cutting out alcohol completely is is recommended in pretty much every recurrence prevention protocol that I am familiar with. Now, does this mean you have to give up alcohol completely? No. Consider it, but no. Um, but Even one drink a week, unfortunately, can increase your breast cancer risk. So I try to keep it to special occasions or every few weeks. And I do try not to go beyond two drinks, maybe three drinks if I'm really feeling (laughs) sassy. But that usually never works out so great for me. Um, So alcohol. You think it's going to help, but it actually does not help. It, it actually makes things worse. <laughs> um, coffee also. If you are dealing with all this stress, yeah, you may be tired, but throwing caffeine is like throwing kerosene on, on a fire. So, and you will probably notice a very drastic reduction in your anxiety levels if you can decrease your caffeine consumption. Do you need to go cold turkey? I don't know. Not necessarily. I spent a lot of time slowly weaning myself off caffeine. I love coffee so much. Um, but I drink a blend of probably about one-sixth caffeinated beans to five, six of decaf. And that's made a huge difference. And now when I add it back, like if I happen to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks or if I'm out having breakfast or something like that, I I notice it. And especially if I'm stressed out, it really, really messes with me. My mood gets, I, I just can't handle things as well. So those are two things that you can do. Try to slowly cut back if that's what you need. But consider removing those two things. I I don't love talking to people about eliminating stuff. But, you know, when you're dealing with situations that require tools, those are two very powerful tools. Last but not least, and then I do have one bonus. So I guess this is an 11 (laughs) 11 uh, thing list. Uh, Last but not least, journaling. We're going to talk about journaling a lot. It's something that I incorporate into my practice, journaling, mindfulness, as well as diet and exercise. Aligning the mind and body during anything always supercharges each element. So with journaling... I love to I love to have conversations with my anxiety, stress, fear, overwhelm through journaling. I love to get things out on paper. We're also going to do an entire episode on the benefits of journaling, some journaling prompts. There are some free journal prompts that are in the Breast Cancer Grounding Kit that you're welcome to download. But when you journal and you have a conversation, 
with your anxiety, it really does help you find this self-compassion, or it does for me, because I recently did have some pretty intensive anxiety and I just sat down and I I asked this anxiety, he says, well, what's, what's going on? What are you trying to tell me? And it just kept saying, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And I dug deeper into why. And I was able to see that a lot of that fear was not something that was necessarily right in front of me. It was not necessarily even based in reality. And I was able to talk myself through this anxiety and really unlock just more mental freedom. So journaling, sometimes that means that you're just telling the story of what's going on. So playing out the story and taking yourself to where you are now can ground you in the now. But having a conversation with your anxiety or fear, that can help you sometimes see when you're overthinking things or you're living in the future. You know, if you are able to sit and journal, you're probably safe in that moment. And there's something really empowering about reminding yourself that right now, right now is all you need to worry about. But you can also work things out. If you need to write a list of all the things that you need to do so you can cross them off or delegate those things, a journal is a great way to do that. Um, And for me as well, being able to look back on some of these entries when I'm in a different place, that can help show you the progress that you've made, you know, which is, which is a wonderful thing. Or it can make you laugh because I have some really humor provoking (laughs) journal entries, which we are going to be sharing on the journal episode because you're going to get to hear some of 12-year-old Junie's journal entries, which they mostly involve whatever boys I thought were cute in that moment in time. (laughs) I was such a boy-crazy little kid. So the bonus, (laughs) the bonus tip um, that I want to mention, I feel like I have to mention it, but I'm not going to go too deep into it because it's not my area of expertise, is medication. Okay, we have to acknowledge medication in the world of anxiety, depression, overwhelm, these things. You know, talk to your doctor. If if this is getting so intrusive in your life, there are pharmaceuticals that can be appropriate to use. So the good news is that if you incorporate some of these other things that we talked about, they can not only sometimes eliminate the need for medication because there are scientific studies that show that diet and exercise can be just as powerful as anti-anxiety or depression medications to combat those things. But if you're in an an extreme situation or you just cannot seem to get a hold on things, there is no shame in talking to your doctor about this, talking to your psychiatrist about this and getting some assistance, get, you know, get over the hump, get balanced if that's what you need. Um, So this is my list of healthy ways to combat and soothe stress. 
I hope that you enjoyed it. If you are having a stressful week because it's the holidays and your family is stressing you out, um, and if you are dealing with cancer or you know, you, you're pretty quick out of your cancer experience, I know that seeing family members can be a little bit triggering. They may want to talk to you about it when it's the last thing that you want to talk about. They may want to know about what decisions you've made with your treatments and have an opinion on it, which can be feel very invasive. They may want to tell you about their friend who did this and are you doing that and you should do that. And uh, that can be really tough. So just remember their hearts are typically in a good place that you can assert your own boundaries and politely let them know that you'd rather not talk about it. Um, but at the end of the day, I hope you have a lovely holiday season. I hope you have fun and enjoy the time with family or friends or whatever you're doing. I will be coming back to you next week with more information, please come find me over on social media, Instagram, Junie B. Well, Facebook, Junie Boucher, NTP. I would absolutely love to hear from you and check out the show notes for uh, the links I mentioned in this episode. All right. As always, I am wishing you well. Take care.